But let's go ahead and bring Sahaj in uh, from the band Raw. Sahaj, how are you? What up? How you guys doing? Good. Yeah. How are you? I'm congested and oh, I have uh, serious allergies going on. But other than that, everything's perfect. Okay. Well, you're not. You don't have to sing tonight, so I guess that's okay, right? To have the allergies. Yeah, we're trying to we're we're trying to figure it out. This, this is what this is sort of every year now that I moved. I moved uh, to Indiana in 2020. Um, and I escaped sort of the Los Angeles COVID lockdown, but now I have literally like terminal level allergies. So I might've, I'm, I'm not sure if I, if I won out. Yeah. So I, I, you talk about LA, I got a question for you. So originally when you guys came out, came onto the scene with, uh, call my name. Sure. I had heard that you guys were from Boston. Is that true? Or has it always so, been LA? So I'm from New York city originally. Okay. Um, we played a lot of shows in New York. We got, <clears throat> we got signed <clears throat> a couple of times to smaller labels in New York, but New York really didn't have sort of like a super hard rock, um, environment that was too conducive. I mean, it was really, K rock was playing stuff, but it really wasn't, uh, there was no real rock, hard rock movement, but in Boston, WAAF, Yes, it was, it was quite aggressive, you know, with Godsmack and there was a lot of stuff going on. So um, once I met Ben, the original got the original guitar player in Ra, um, he's he was from Spring. Uh, what's he from? No, Amesbury, Mass. OK. And he ended up um, sort of suggesting that we. Uh, um, we he sort of he suggested that we start playing shows in, in the in the Boston area. And when we started playing. It was terrible, as you would expect, but at least there was more of a community. And then uh, we got real lucky, and a friend of ours knew Mistress Carrie at WAF, and he played her Do You Call My Name. She loved it, and it was one of those weird sort of like um, story, you know, the, the, the stories that don't happen anymore, where somebody plays a song during the lunch cafe, and, yep. and, the, light, and the phones light up, and, you know, the old school way of, of being discovered, and... Uh, that's literally what happened. And then we sold a bunch of, of CDs on our own in the Northeast and toured a bunch and then signed uh, to Universal Republic for a couple albums. So I, I will tell you this on my side of it. Um, at that time, when uh, Do You Call My Name came out, I was working at an active rock radio station and absolutely fell in love with that song when it got released. It was and even now, even Jared and I were talking about it earlier. I was going through some of your stuff uh of new stuff and then it popped up and i'm like oh, you know what i'm gonna play that and I, it just brought back those memories of like the time that that song came out was so so for me epic in the music industry because it was you guys and then there was breaking benjamin and then a lot of that stuff all was coming out at the same time but that's one of those songs that just stuck out in my head from from day one so yeah, I mean, I work with a lot of cool bands. I've done a lot of producing and writing for other artists. Um, but the other day, I went to see uh, Breaking Benjamin and Seether uh, with Starset and Lacey Sturm. Um, I work with Starset quite a bit. And Seether was actually the first band we ever toured with ever in oh, wow. 2002. Yeah. And then um, and Breaking Benjamin was one of the bands that when we were when we were doing well, they were they opened for us quite a bit. Right. You know, so it was sort of like that, that interesting thing of, you know, sort of watching, uh, you know, from the sidelines a little bit, just feeling like, huh, if I hadn't taken seven years off, maybe I could have been doing this too. But, um, but yeah, I think the, 
the the great part of that time period i mean it, you know what's it, so it's easy from sort of like the music fans perspective or, or, or well i guess you were in radio so this might be somewhat realistic for you too but it was also the end of an era you know like that whole early 2000s you know records record companies stopped paying for bands radio stations dwindled in numbers especially active rock stations and the way that music was sold became completely confusing and if your basis you know if your if your uh template for releasing albums was to make a whole record then spotify and everything ruined that for you so you really had to sort of like reinvent the wheel which i think to an extent you know you have that period i would say from 0506 to say 2015 16 where butt rock was pretty horrible and there was a lot of there was a lot of garbage music it wasn't a lot of interesting stuff um I have my own sort of benchmark for a band that came up and sort of reinvigorated me personally, even as a producer. Um, once Semper Eternal came out by Bring Me the Horizon, it's sort of like yes, yes. changed the way I looked at modern music and it allowed me to say to myself, oh, all the stuff that I did in Ra and all the stuff that I like personally is actually the right stuff. Because prior to that, a lot of the bands that were succeeding were just things that I didn't vibe with at all. Right, and I didn't right, have right. any connection. And then to see Bring Me the Horizon sort of explode, and they exploded despite radio. In fact, I don't think they still to this date even have a number one single. But um, I could be wrong there, but I, th I don't think they do. But, the, but their numbers are insane. And I think they've done a really good job of sort of incorporating the, you know, when Sepaternal came out, I used to describe it as Linkin Park meets uh, Under Oath. That's what yeah, it was. There you go. But yes. it was, but it was this brilliant sort of mixture where everything felt hooky enough and, and commercial enough, but also note choices were intellectual and production was smart. And then when they came out with like Throne and Doomed and, you know, and the, the That's the Spirit album, it just took it that one more step to the, to the point where I was just like, oh, I'm sold. And it allowed me to write really cool songs for bands like Starset and then, you know, and take a lot of that to move it <clears throat> into a lot of the other bands that I was able to, that I was lucky enough to sort of be involved with at the beginning. Uh, most recently I got to work on the newest Nothing More record. Uh, Tired of Winning is a song I, I just wrote with them. Um, but the, but the, but the intensity, the, 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 the beauty of modern music is sort of feeling like it's relevant again. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also a bunch of garbage. <laughs> but I still, I, you know, I sort of, I'm, I'm hopeful because I feel like there are moments where I hear something and I'm like genuinely inspired, even as a guy who writes a million songs and sort of listens to the same stuff. You know, I really only listen to top 40, if I'm honest, I think I, I'm more obsessed with Doja Cat and Juice World than I am with most of the hard rock bands that float around. I got wow, you. That, I wasn't expecting that for sure. Uh, you brought them up, but what do you think about Bring Me the Horizons new stuff? Because now they're kind of on a different path than the albums that you mentioned. Well, it, uh, I really like that song "Die for You," right? And and there's you know there's some there's some formulaic things that they're doing that I recognize, right? There's a part in that song that sounds like Post Malone. There's a part in that song that's pretty much MGK, but right. there's still you know, they, they are still the band that sort of has figured out how to brand themselves as a cool band, but also make good music at the same time. Like there's, there's a combination. Um, I'm really good friends with the guys in Ice Nine Kills. And what I love about Ice Nine Kills is, is that it's sort of unapologetically what it is, right. but 
but it's such a great template. It's such a great template for other bands to look at and say, here's an, here's a project where the music is important, but the branding is either equally as important or more important. Right. And Spencer's sort of a genius at stuff like that. And I love seeing that because, you know, uh, I work a lot with Jason Hook, who was formerly a five finger. Right. Right. And, you know, one of the things that we always fight about is because he really likes Kiss. And I've always hated Kiss, but he really <laughs> thinks Kiss is amazing. But if you think about it, it was that th- it was exactly what I'm talking about, where the branding and the music held hands. I think the music was terrible, but the branding was incredible. But, you know, if you think about Five Finger, one of the things that they did incredibly well was the branding. Yep. You know, being able to make the visuals and, the, and the, the hockey jerseys and the face paint and the whole thing. Like, it was all the branding that made them stand out. Yeah, the music was good, too. And Ivan was one of those people for me that I didn't necessarily, and I played with Ivan way back in the motivated days, um, but Ivan never really like connected with me as a singer until, I don't even know, maybe F8 or right before that or something like that. I think he grew into the singing role far, far more impressively recently um, than, than in the beginning. It didn't really connect with me personally, but you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where the music industry is sort of now, everybody's sort of playing with, its perception as much as it's playing with how to write a good song. And I think that that's beautiful in a weird way, because I feel like when, when we lost the, the intimacy or the, the, when we lost the mystery of not being able to, you know, like we think of Pink Floyd, it wasn't like we could watch what he did that day on Instagram. You know what I mean? So the mystery of Robert Plant, when we lost all of that with social media, I was pretty, nervous about the idea that nothing cool was going to replace it. And it was just going to be all the access all the time. And some of these guys, Spencer being one of them, I feel like is able to make that entertaining and part of the branding without necessarily, you know, really diluting everything to a point where you're just like, Oh, I don't want to know what this guy had for lunch. You know? Right. Is, is that is, and I don't mean this in a negative way. Do you mean like almost creating a caricature of what your music is? Is, is that what so, you're saying? So th- in, in one of Add my in one of my producer speeches that I talk to when I talk to bands, because, you know, a lot of the bands that come to me when they're young, obviously the hardest thing for them to have is sort of a signature sound, right? Like everybody wants to have that signature sound, that thing that identifies you above every other project. But most bands, when you're young, you're just copying whoever you like. So for me, you know, I was obsessed with the police. I was obsessed with corn. I was obsessed with Metallica. If you really listen to the raw music, you can hear police. Peter Gabriel meets corn and Metallica. That's really what it is. But maybe less so nowadays, but in the beginning, that's what it was. But when you're dealing and, and, you know, by the way, from a career standpoint, I was struggling as an artist through most of the nineties because I didn't have a definition like that. I didn't have a, something that I could say in a sentence that was like my sound. You know, and that's something that's really hard for artists. So so to get back to the original point, one of the things I always tell bands about the, the signature sound is in, in the pursuit of finding it, you have to identify the one or two or maybe three things you do really well and forget about everything else. You take those two or three things. If And by the way, if one of those things is being really funny, then be fucking funny. You know, like one of one of the things that made me like Danny Warsnop before I knew him personally, when I watched Asking Alexandria play a show was how funny he was. It was just there was so much like stand up between him and and Ben that the 
the, the it was it was this moment where you're just completely disarmed because he was so comfortable being funny and letting that part of it be part of the entertainment. It sort of diluted the heaviness of some of the songs. And just in, in a sense, it's just that thing where you find one or two things, you stick it under a magnifying glass, you blow it up. And then you try not to deviate because if you deviate too much, if you wake up one day and your favorite band is now, instead of it being bring me the horizon, now you're obsessed with falling in reverse. And now you're obsessed with you, you you're going to chase. And when you're chasing, yeah. you're never leading, you know, I, I like, I like that. That, that. that makes a lot of sense. And I've heard a lot of people, um, social media creators that have nothing necessarily like TikTok stars, uh, that say the same thing. When you hit something that works, double down on that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 I don't, I don't think that it's really sort of unique to just artists or creative people. I think it's, you know, in all aspects of life, you know what I mean? It's like, you want to present the best, the best possible version of yourself, even to the people that you love, you know, you don't want to, to burden them with all the, the, the stuff that you're still working on. And, and, you know, obviously if you're close to someone, then they accept that, but it's one of those things where you, you learn to be more efficient. You learn to just sort of like get to the point. Uh, you mentioned a second ago. Uh, well, let, let's go back. So 2002, do you call my name? That song where like Kevin mentioned it. I, when that thing comes on, that's like, it's like sitting in a DeLorean and going to a blast to the past for me. Like it brings up so many great memories from that time in my life. Very uh, influential time. It was college age years beginning of for me. Love that song. But you mentioned seven years you took off from the music industry. Is that as a whole completely total? And, and why? No, I took off, I guess technically it's six, but I took off six, six years just from raw. So okay. when, when um, roughly 2009, really, it was when I started sort of putting it on the shelf as sort of a side thing because I was really focused on producing and writing for other artists. And then we did, we did a record called Critical Mass, which came out in 2012 as a result of a Kickstarter. And it was really fun to do, and I was psych psyched on it. We only played uh, in total maybe 12 shows for the entire uh, album cycle. And then I didn't do anything else, so 2013 roughly. And then I didn't do anything, literally nothing uh, Raw-related until... 2020 i might have put out like one or like one or two like side songs but <clears throat> for the most part i was content with sort of leaving it on the side and, and working on producing with other bands and again you know um star set is one of sort of like my proudest projects that i've been deeply involved with you know eight songs that i've co-written for for star set including manifest and other songs and it's one of those things where the um the amount of time it takes to get good at sort of co-writing and producing it's not you can't phone that in so i really needed to sort of like put stuff on the side and just really go sort of like full full blast into um producing and writing and and just getting like you know and, and i got to work with like molly crew and all really really cool things it's just never uh it, it was never something that i could have done half-assed so i just put me i put raw on the side for the for the for the time being why, why step out of the limelight and being the, you know, the front man of your own band to go into the producing side of it? What was the draw there? Uh, the draw was in 2005, I met a girl and I really liked her and she sort of satisfied all of my fantasy versions of who I wanted to be with. And then the fantasy became real. And then she was like literally sort of, 
you know, the, the, the embodiment of everything that I was, so, you know, I, I grew up always sort of prioritizing relationships and being in love and being passionate. And this girl was everything to me. So, you know, I, I stopped everything else so I could marry her. I mean, we're still together 17 years we've been together and it's, it, you know, she wasn't going to be in a serious relationship with a guy doing 200 shows a year. So, and, and also for me, I make it, this is a little bit of a joke, but I sort of really, really believe it. Uh, I got everything in the wrong order. It's like, I got a record deal. I started putting the thing and then you're supposed to make a shit ton of money. And then you're supposed to get the trophy wife. And I skipped right to the trophy wife without making a shit ton of money. And then I had to make a shit ton of money so I could support the, sh- the trophy wife. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of just like, God, I gotta, I gotta get focused on doing this. I mean, you know, you gotta remember mid two thousands, Active rock radio was dying. There really wasn't a, you know, even Breaking Benjamin took those years off. Like there there really wasn't a drive for me to say, oh, I can still blow the fuck up and explode as raw when there just wasn't it just, you know, a a very good friend of mine who was in radio at the time. He said, look, I don't I don't know what you would do. What are you going to be the king of a pile of shit? And that's literally said it. And it and it really resonated. And I was like, well, I guess. I guess it's time to focus on the producing side, but in part, you know, a lot of it, it was always, I always figured I'd do something where I sang and, and just sort of kept the ball rolling. But um, yeah, I mean, the six years later and then 2020 rolls around and, and I had, we, we had our son Mason and I had promised her that we would leave LA. I didn't want Mason to go to school in LA, like school, school. He was going to preschool, but I didn't want him to go to regular school in LA and um, I promised her that we would move and buy a house. I was also spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars renting houses in Los Angeles, which was a waste of money. <laughs> so I, you know, we made a promise to <clears throat> buy a house and we bought it in her hometown where she grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And cost of living here is great. And uh, I get to have an awesome studio and get to where I actually work a lot with Sweetwater because that's here as well. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, a, it's a pretty good situation. And the side effect of being here is that um, I can do a tour. I can go out for a few weeks and do some raw stuff because I want to. And my wife has such a huge sort of like, um, set, you know, community of friends and family that it's not like when I was in LA, if I left a house, if I went to Vegas for two, two days in LA, I, I felt like I'd abandoned my family here. I'm, I'm worried. They don't notice when I'm, when I'm not home, you know, it's like, I'm going to be gone for three weeks. And they're like, well, we're going to play this and we're going to go on the boat and we're going to do this. And we're going to do that. And I'm just, I'm the one who's jealous. Come back whenever it's like, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you made a very conscious decision with, it seems like a lot of in like forethought, man. So kudos to you for not just chasing something that you, really chasing something you already had, right? Like fulfillment, like you already had that, you know what I mean? Somewhat, yeah, I mean, what was funny was the actual sort of, so I worked on, so I wrote this, I wrote the, the, the dirt, the song, the dirt for the, for Motley Crue, the movie. And the one that MPK's on. And then I also co-wrote the other three new Motley Crue songs. Right. So Nikki six used to be at my house at it all the time. And when you, when, <laughs> yeah. And when things got a little crazy in Los Angeles and we were just sort of going back and forth and you got to remember Nikki six is maybe the most LA guy that's ever exist. Right. Like there's, there's literally when you think of Hollywood and you think about music, you think about Motley Crue. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. you know, these guys, you know, Nikki's calling me and we're talking and we're talking and we're talking and he's like, man, I think I'm going to move to Wyoming. 
And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, I just think I want to go. And this is like November of 2019. He's like, I think I'm just going to go. And I'm like, this is really? pre-COVID. Like, Pre-COVID. Yeah, just, yeah, we didn't. This wasn't about COVID at all. It was just sort of okay. a feeling. And he just kept on saying, yeah, I think it's time. I think it's time. I want to, I want my kid to grow up somewhere else. And, and I just sort of, for whatever reason I got, I sort of just was like, yeah, yeah, I think I'm with you on that. And I started looking. And I, I mean, just in terms of like timing, I pulled up to my new house February 27th of 2020, yeah. like, and LA right. shut down a week later. Yeah. You, so, you timed that out very, very, very. Yeah. I got real lucky on that front. It actually yeah. ended up, uh, you know, of course the fear when you leave Los Angeles is that you're going to lose business, but it actually blew my, blew it up even more because everyone was like, I got to get out of here. And they came right. to me. So well, that, good. that was, that was one of the things too. Do you do most of your stuff now? Do people actually have to come to Fort Wayne, like to your house or is it virtual? Are we swapping files over the internet? Like, how does that work? It's both. Um, I like having people here. I just had Jason hook here for a week and his singer, the singer for his solo project for two weeks. And um, it's fun when they come because it allows me to see my son. It allows me to sort of, you know, the weird thing about studios is, is that gear is just gear. But when you're talking about workflow and you have things set up a certain way, it's harder for me to create in another environment, just be, not because I don't know how to, but it's just not going to be as quick and easy. Cool. And when you're writing, one of the things that's really important is to get through the ideas. So, you know, I've worked with producers and writers that, you know, that'll spend 35 minutes trying to pick a kick drum. And I'm just like, guys, you know, we're going to we need to get onto just the songwriting part of this. Forget about the kick drum. Let's get the song done. So I'm, I'm really fast here and I have everything dialed in. So it's one of those things where having people come to me is really, really fun and satisfying. And my house is set up for some artists to stay and they stay here and, you know, it has a whole different wing just for the, the studio people. Um but I also do a lot more nowadays as a result of COVID. I do a lot more remotely. Um, a lot of times I'll just have a band that, you know, I do a lot of melodies and what's called top lining. So top lining and music is, is when you write the melodies and the lyrics. Um, and so somebody will send, people will send me instrumentals and I will take those instrumentals and just put down a whole bunch of options for melodies and sort of work with them remotely until that's done and then help them when they record it with the lyrics and the whole thing. It's really, really low, low impact for me because I don't have to leave and it's, I can do all the stuff quickly. So I'm really into that part of doing stuff. And, and, you know, I've, I've sort of carved out a niche as the vocal guy, which is what I've been doing for a lot of bands. So it's going well. That is all. I've never heard of that top line. That is really cool because I know what you're talking about. You're talking about putting the 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 decoration on the cake, which is which is the hook or the everything, right? The melody like that. Yeah. That so little... so you know, one of the cool things, um, you know, and I'm going to speak a little less humble than I probably should, but you know, I'm a really good singer. And one of the things that's a side effect of being a really good singer is you can articulate your ideas without them being sort of like compromised. So if I was a shitty singer with a great idea, I really would have a hard time teaching you what it is that, it, that I want you to hear. But you'd because be of, all, all shitty, but you'd be like, it should be way up here or over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I've worked with guys that are like, well, what if we did this? And they're like, whoa. <laughs> and you're just like, dude, I don't know what you're doing. But, yeah. you know, for me, because I can sing things virtually the way, you know, pretty exactly the way I want them to sound, it's sort of a gift in, in this line of work because then I can sort of deliver it to them and they can do whatever they want with it. But it's one of those things where I deliver it sort of 
purely and it comes across so it allows me to do stuff in that way and i'm, I'm really fast with melodies i hear things I, uh dustin from starset calls me the melody database police because every time he comes up with a melody i'm like oh that's just that song from journey in 1976 you know and he's like what and i'm like yeah this is this melody you know but um but yeah i mean there's there's i memorize a lot of things musically especially notes and and it just allows me to have like a big toolbox when it comes to writing melodies for other people well there there were two questions in my head and this dovetails right off of one of them is is your is your vocal background because i remember that from the first raw record just being like damn this dude is up there like you're just crushing it like where does that come where did that come from just as a kid did you take i mean i feel like i feel i feel like the the honest answer is genetically i have a good voice you know um but i was singing at a very young age and i was singing fairly complicated things so one of the first bands that really influenced me as a child and this is crazy is a, a band called return to forever it was a fusion jazz band um and it was it was al demiola Chikoria, Stanley Clark, and Lenny White. And it was one of these crazy fusion jazz records that had rock elements, but was really just jazz and no vocals. And I was like five or six years old. And the name of the album was a romantic warrior. And the album still to this day is one of the greatest fits. Actually sting who's fun. It's funny because I didn't know this when I was obsessed with sting found out much later, but sting actually credits seeing uh, Return to Forever live in Newcastle when he was a kid as one of the reasons why he wanted to do music. But anyway, the moral of the story is um, I used to sing the melody lines along with the playing as characters because all the songs, one song was called like the Romantic Warrior, the Majestic uh, the Majestic King, the Jester. Like I, I would act them out as a little kid thinking they were storylines, but I would sing along with it. And then later on when I was in... Uh, in uh, I guess junior high school, they put me in glee club and like had me starting to sing. And I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. I didn't like getting the attention. I didn't like being singled out. You know, I didn't like people saying, Oh, you're a good singer and feeling like other kids didn't like me because I was better than them. So I didn't do that. And then when I went to, so I went to LaGuardia high school, which is the the, sort of the fame school in New York city. And I, I got in for music and I got in for painting and sort of in the same light, I picked painting. I didn't want to do music. I felt weird about it. I felt like I didn't want to be taught music. It was a weird thing. But by the time I was a senior in that school, I was already full-time making music all the time. And that was sort of the beginning of all of it. And then I just sort of gravitated towards it um, on a technical level, meaning that I started to like, I started being obsessed with like Joe Satriani and Steve Vai and all the guitar heroes. And, And that sort of led me down the road uh, so that once bands like Queensryche and Corn and everything else started popping, I was really, really into it. Ke- I know Kevin's got the <clears throat> the video queued up here. He's we're gonna get ready to play it. Um, sure. But last quick question before we roll in the video is, where did the name come from, Raw? Uh, that I've always wanted to know that. It's a very simple reason. Um, so, uh, like I've said pro- probably six times already, I was obsessed with the police and I was obsessed with Sting. And Sting was my idol, and I just wanted to be like him no matter what I could do. So Sting wrote a bazillion songs about the moon. He had Walking on the Moon, Nothing Like the Sun was his album. He had the Bourbon, uh, Moon Over Bourbon Street, all all of these songs about the moon. So I was like, well, fuck it, I'm going to write songs about the sun. So I started writing all these songs about the sun, and then I was having dinner with this girl and we were, I was trying to think of a name and all this stuff, and in, in the middle of it, 
she was like, well, what about Ra? And I was like, you mean like the Egyptian sun god? And she was like, yeah. I was like, there's no way that that's not taken. And then I actually found out through an attorney. I looked it up and all this stuff. And it wasn't copyrighted as a band name. And so I copyrighted as a band name. And in 1998, there was a movie that was a sequel to Carrie called the Carrie, uh, Carrie to the rage. And it was, it was terrible, but (laughs) my first commercial, like major commercial release was the, uh, end title sequence, uh, song for that movie. So that was, we had a song called crazy little voices and it was, uh, bring me the rage was the subtitle of it. And it, and it was, uh, the, the theme, the, the end title, the end title, so when the movie ended, that was the song that played. I love it, dude. All right, Kevin, I'm sorry for hogging it up. But so, I, no, no, it's all good. Uh, so we're going to play Intercorrupted, um, of course, which was the title track off the most recent album. Um, so you, it, I want to make sure I got my my stuff right. So it was the original lineup that recorded this album, right? So, yeah. So one of the reasons, one of the things that I made as a criteria of making this record was that it, it had to have everybody on it. For, you know, I didn't want to be one of those things where you know, you find out a band's coming back and then nobody is original except for one guy. Right. right, Um, So I really, really wanted them to be on it. And, you know, and I was lucky enough to get them to tour last year and, and get mostly the shows done with everybody on it. Um, The, the bittersweet part of it is the tour we're about to go on now is just me and a bunch of guys, (laughs) but it, 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 it's, it's one of those things where, you know, me and Scooter look back on our history and I started playing with Scooter in bands in 1996. And that's just a really long time to try and keep a guy to make no money going out on the road and play to, you know, a few hundred people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just sort of like reached the point last year where he had been on tour and I was just like, you know what? We're a little too old to be slumming it out here. And I, it doesn't bother me, but it was bothering him. So he sort of, he sort of bailed on it. And Ben, the, the original guitar player, um, he, he has a business where he does meditation and all the stuff where he leads these meditations and it's very, very time consuming. So for him to take time off is pretty, is pretty, is pretty like detrimental to his business. So he's, he's basically out for now. And PJ, who is still in the band technically, but he's also in Fozzie. So Fozzie's out on tour now, so he yeah. can't go out with us here, but he'll be doing the shows we do in the summer. But yeah, he's, he's in Fozzie. So there's, there's a direct scheduling conflict with that. All right, so we're going to roll into Intercorrupted, and one thing we like to do is you can you can tell us nothing, or you can tell us everything uh, about the song. So all right, I'm going to talk the fuck over it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are we you're not going to be we're going to be muted while it's playing. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We can talk about it after we get it back. But I'm I'm going to ask you this. I was looking at the video, and I've seen it probably quite a few times. And I never noticed until a couple of days ago when I was watching, I was looking at the skyline. Was that filmed in New Orleans? It was not. It was filmed in downtown Phoenix, Arizona. Because okay. that skyline looked awfully darn familiar. Yeah. But all right. All right. I'm wrong. I'll go <laughs> with it. And we're back. And that was uh, Intercorrupted. That was Raw and Sahaj with us from Raw. And so tell us about the song. Uh, so the song sort of the whole album to be honest is sort of like a social commentary to some extent uh the 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 concept um for this particular song is the idea that in 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 the in the current state of the world where everything is so super divided right you know far left far right everybody's sort of at each other's throat there's sort of a there's an under there's an unspoken compromise or an unspoken agreement 
between both sides, right? The, the person who's far left sort of needs the person who's far right in order to be able to act out that hatred, act out that anger. The same thing for someone who's on the far right, who, who you know, if you were in a vacuum, you wouldn't have the feelings. You need that other person in, or you need that enemy in which to sort of use your energy to focus. So the overarching idea of intercorrupted, which by the way is a fake word, I made it up, um, is the idea that we're intercorrupted. Both of us are wrong for sort of being on the extremes. And that I, I've also, you know, for Ra, it's, it's not an uncommon theme to sort of preach the middle way or, you know, that the, the, the black or white is sort of a waste and that gray is probably the, the safer place, you know, sort of a centrist, the mentality. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of deeper sort of political things where, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people about situations in the world and, I think people are, for the most part, sort of duped into thinking that a lot of the things that are important uh, are are really not. You know, a lot of the things that they were fed as a sort of information diet um, is really not stuff that matters. You know, it's all a distraction to sort of allow the people who think they know better and who have all the means to sort of make sort of grand decisions, you know, I mean, people, you know, people cheered about Elon Musk buying Twitter, but, you know, it's not that different than Jeff Bezos having the walls, the Washington Post or, you know, or, you know, or Rupert Murdoch and just, just all the same stuff. It's these, or, or Zuckerberg for that matter, like the idea of being in a position to control information, it just doesn't, it doesn't end well, right? There's no real way <clears throat> to be like stoked that one person is making the choices for millions of people. It's just not going to work. And I think that a lot of the things that go on in our government are also sort of victimized by the same thinking. Right. So instead of, you know, I, I talked to my friend, I live, so I'm a Puerto Rican Russian guy from New York city who lived in Los Angeles for 10 years. And now I live in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Right. So people in Fort Wayne, Indiana tend to think one way different than the way we thought in New York and all that stuff. But I was always touring, touring the country sort of gave me a, a nice sort of palette to work from understanding things. But at the end of the day, it's all the same thing in that, um, I've known a lot of celebrities and I, and I sort of see some people in Congress as celebrities, right? If you're able to be a congressman for 40 years or a senator for 40 years, you're no longer able to have an actual sort of like um, a, a reality-based connection to what other people are doing because it's just like being Chris Hemsworth, right? Chris Hemsworth has no reality basis compared to like everyone else. Chris Hemsworth life is completely crazy compared to yours and mine, but he thinks it's totally normal. So it's the same thing that happens with the government. People who are in, you know, the Pelosi's and the McConnell's who are in government for years and years and years, they lose perspective. They have no idea how to navigate real people's lives and, you know, not to be the guy who's preaching political shit. But if, if you're not talking about term limits and you're not literally focused on term limits, you really have no basis to argue any political argument because the only thing that ruins government, as far as I can tell, and I'm just a guy, is the fact that these guys are there for 40 years. There should be term limits for senators and congressmen. They should never, ever, ever be allowed to stay in. Even if you want to make eight or 12 years the limit, that's fine. But at least you get somebody at some point in their career who's willing to do the right thing and not just to say what will get them elected. 
And I think that that's essentially what we have going on on all sides of the spectrum. And it just wastes, it wastes an enormous amount of not, and it wastes money too, because these companies that could be reinvesting their money into curing cancer, into making renewable energy, if that's something that we want to do or all of that stuff, instead they're paying lobbyists. And they're paying all this money to special interest groups in order to get stuff passed because the guy who's there has no perspective. I don't know. Sorry, I went off on my political trip. Hey, look, politics is my jam. I I love that stuff. Uh, I was was sitting back enjoying it. I, I think I think raw. I've always felt you. It was a thinking man's band lyrically, right? I, I've always loved that about about the, the music and the content. I'm glad to hear you say all that stuff. Uh, and for sure, I I agree with ninety percent of what you just said. Uh, term limits being one of them. I just wish that the American voter would educate themselves and be more active in the political process uh, to where term limits didn't need to be instituted. Because I feel like if you just do term limits, they're just going to groom the next guy. Tell them it's four years. Tell them at seven, eight, twelve, whatever they're going to have, uh, you know, Pelosi Part B ready to go. As soon as that limits up, they're going to just serve that up to you on a silver platter. And if you're dumb enough to vote for it again, that's what you're going to do. That, that's well, my I sort point. of my so, so my my terrible solution to that is you do a twelve year term limit, and you only get one reelection. So for the first six years, you get to be the douchebag political person worrying about special interests and trying to do everything you need to do for getting reelected. But for the second six years, you get to be that guy who knows, well, I can't be reelected. You know, I mean, the the money's money's too, too thick and they'll just continue to do what's paying them, even though they're not going to get reelected and they'll funnel that to the next guy. That's my opinion. I, I think you're right. I think it might help, though, because there's an element, I mean, let's just look at sort of, I'm gonna use Jeff Flake as an example, right? So remember when Jeff Flake was starting to talk a bunch of shit about Trump and whatever, whatever side, I'm not even using it, I'm not picking a side here, but I'm just using it as an example that he went against the grade only because he knew he wasn't going for re-election. There, there's some truth to that for sure. And so I, I only think there's gonna, I, I don't necessarily think that's gonna happen all the time, but I think it will happen more often than it does now. Education is the way to freedom, is what I've always thought. When it yeah, comes and then my answer, to, my answer to that is very unpopular. And my answer to that is that I don't necessarily think that all people have the ability to digest the amount of data that's being shoved at them on a daily basis through their device. I think we need you back on to talk politics. I I, I, <laughs> I do another podcast and we could jam that up uh, for for hours on end too. So uh, let's I, do I, it. I love that, dude. So let's let's talk about this new tour that you got starting here uh, in sure. about a week. Uh, so it's it's you guys. It's stitching apart September morning. Uh, the band that was going to join us, but unfortunately couldn't join us tonight above snakes. Uh, so they're going to be there. The only thing that I don't like about this tour is you're going the wrong way. So you, <laughs> well, start, you start you know, in Texas. So first, I, first Texas. I have to ask, where are you located? So Biloxi, Biloxi well, Mississippi and Pensacola, Florida. Yeah. Okay. So that's going to be baby. So listen, listen, first of all, we are tentatively up for a much bigger tour in October and November. If that happens, I have no control over where it's going to go. Right. But if that doesn't happen, the idea is to do all of the East Coast down to Florida, do the panhandle and go and end somewhere in New Orleans, Nashville area. So you'll if that comes together, then we'll we'll be able to hang out and, and, and make things happen. That's uh, I don't want your big tour to fail, but I want your big tour to fail because no. <laughs> we want you down here. That would be great, man. Honestly, so, 
you guys uh earlier was it earlier this year you guys did some dates with um any given sin as well right yeah that was last november okay so wow. yeah that so we were with the same management company at the time and uh, those guys are really nice guys i think they're really good dudes yes absolutely and uh that i just remember seeing that because that was the one where jared and i were actually debating about possibly flying to michigan to the machine, machine shop, shop. To see yes so that was that, a good show. unfortunately my agent for whatever reason you know these agents sometimes and, and my agent's an awesome dude and i love the guy but he, he sometimes they just sort of you know they just look at the schedule and start booking things so that's that machine shop show which was one of our bigger shows on that tour uh was the last of seven in a row Ooh. And I've never done seven shows in my life in a row and wow. headlining, you know, now that we have five albums, the show is fairly long. So trying to headline a set after five days, seven days, no, you know, no day off. It was, it, I, I made it through, but I was not, you know, I was not in a hundred percent shape on that show. Yeah. And the way oh, you sing too, that's not, that's, that's tough. Yeah. So when you when you put a tour together or when you guys are working on a tour together and you're the you're the headliner of the tour, how do you go about how does how does the okay, these bands are gonna open up? How does that how does that happen? Do you have any say in that or is that just agents working together or so in that particular in this particular case with the with what's happening right now, um I've worked with September morning since twenty twelve and I've worked with Stitched Apart since twenty fourteen. Uh, the original band that was going to be the opening band was going to be Killicoy, which is a band I discovered in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yes. Uh, they couldn't afford the fuel cost of doing the entire run, so they had to bail. Although Jordan from Killicoy, who's the singer, is playing guitar on this tour like he did on the last tour. I got you. Um, <clears throat> but so I was hopeful that it would be a, a show where every band was playing songs that I wrote. That was the goal, was just to have an entire Sahaja Palooza going on the entire time but uh no now that we have there, a, no ego there yeah so i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to write some songs for bub snakes if they ever want to go out on tour with us again so um but like yeah our agent we, we all have the same agent so gotcha. that's how the stitched up heart september morning thing came together awesome that, so if, if anybody's looking to find raw on so what are you most active on uh social media instagram uh facebook it's both. We have more followers on Facebook, uh, but I always post everything to Instagram and Facebook together. Yep. Um, and it's probably there. That's the easiest, you know, so when, on Instagram, it's official raw band, you know, at official raw band on Facebook, weirdly. And I mean this because we were really, really freaked out when it happened because it happened very quickly, which is not normal. We are verified and it's just raw. Yes, but so you still, I, I just found this out because I tagged you at the beginning of the show. You still have to type at official RA for it to come up for the tag. That's possible because that's what it says yeah. on, the, on the on the URL. Yes, but yes. when wherever we write, it just says raw. It doesn't say anything else. And yep. I, I couldn't believe like we were warned after being so inactive for six years. You're like, oh, you're never going to get verified. And, and it took like two days. 
Yes. So yes. it was pretty cool. And then uh, trying to build up the TikTok thing, but you know that's slow. And I don't post enough, and I don't I don't look that good in a bikini. So hey, just just let Jared know. Jared's an expert at TikTok. TikTok. I am definitely not. <laughs> I I know what to do. I just don't execute on it. So, uh, what one other question? What what about people? What about you know? We have a lot of bands and new artists on, on as part of our audience. If they want to hire you in the in the producer role, how do how do we reach out for that? I have a website. It's just Sahaj Ticketin at um, sahajticketson.com but also on facebook if you hit me up on the raw one i have a sahaj the producer facebook page too but okay. um i i answer all the correspondence on both um but sahajticketson.com i have a form where you can fill it out and sort of tell me your whole spiel and send links and i can check stuff out i'm i'm uh, the the good news is that i'm sort of a lot well, the good news for me is that I'm uh, a lot pickier than I used to be. I used to have to hustle my face off. I don't quite hustle as much anymore, but um, there's, you know, if you, if you come to me with either a lot of money or a lot of talent or anywhere in between, we can usually make something work. Dude, that's honest. That is an honest answer. If you got a lot of talent or a lot of money, honestly, God, that's the perfect answer. Like we can make something work. I mean, you know, I've been doing this a long time and I don't, I don't pretend you know, I, I, my my entertainment attorney, who's a very famous guy, has like Bad Wolves and Five Finger and all these other bands. Um, he 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 basically says he because he, he hears some of the bands that that I work on that that don't necessarily live up to the recordings we end up with. Ah. And and you know, he just he he constantly uses a football term, and he's like, "Saj, I love this, but uh, you outkicked your coverage again." Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so he's yeah. always he's always uh, sort of beefing on me, but I try not to do that anymore. I try to really like find tr- find stuff I like. Well, and because th- your name's on it too, right? In other words, you know, you not only do you want the great <laughs> recording, but you don't want him to go out and not sound like the great recording because it's even better for you, correct? I mean, ultimately, I don't charge enough for um a band to come here and just suck you know (laughs) i want them to go out and actually get wealthy and successful so that i have a back end that actually makes sense you know i'm looking for you know with with streaming and the way that it all works now i'm looking for annuities you know i want to i want to be able to see those month that money trickle in even if you're not doing hundreds of millions of streams if your band gets a couple million streams and another band gets a couple million streams starts to add up, you know, does does, does that work just as the producer role or is that with writing credits as well? It's right. So right. That's sort of a loaded question. So the, 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 the honest answer is, is that as a writer, you make money from performances, meaning that if it gets played on Octane, if it gets played somewhere, there's a payment schedule that, that gets set up for collection by either BMI or ASCAP, and then you make money that way, right? Then there's also sound exchange. So if I'm performing on your record, I'm singing background vocals, or I'm singing extra guitar parts, I might participate in the sound exchange, which is this digital digital royalties collection. Then there's another thing called the MLC, which does basically what mechanical licenses used to do back in the old days for album sales. Now it does it for digital streaming. So there's these different little revenue streams that sort of come in, and you can... um, if you do it enough and you get enough stuff trickling, a little trickle can become a little river, you know? We need your attorney to come on the show and talk to us about all of that. He's, great. he's on a bunch of stuff. I mean, he's easily found. His name is Eric German. He's he's a very, very well-known rock and roll attorney, and he does incredible work. Well, I, we would love to have him on for sure because that, I mean, that's what we're about here is trying to educate new artists. You know, we're, we want to be uh, the, the, the mouth of the underground, so that would be great. Nice. For sure. I'll let him know. Awesome. Yeah. 
Awesome, man. Dude, thank you for your time. I, I, me and Kevin talked about before we went live, like this is one of the ones I've been looking forward to uh, an extremely uh, – since Kevin told me about it, man, because I, I, I've been a fan since, it, it, you know, the first single. So I'm glad to see you're back out doing it. I didn't know anything about the behind the scenes stuff that you've been doing. So that's been educational for me and hopefully for the audience, man. It's, I'm glad to know that you're that you're still out there crushing it. That's that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Lots of lots of stuff. A Bad Wolf song on the newest record. Uh, it's uh, there's a bunch of I'm, I'm blanking at the moment. I just did a song with that band, Saul. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. I did, I did another. um Geez, there's so many. I'm working with this band Varsity. Yep. Uh, we, we met them a couple of months ago. Great group of yeah. guys. Like any anything you ever have though, if there's anything that we can do to help you get it out to be a, you know, the voice, uh get, send us a song, send us anybody you're working with, a band. We would love to be a part of like, you know, broadcasting that. That's why we created this show. Absolutely, man. I'm in. Sweet. Well, thank you so much. Uh good luck on the tour. And uh, I'll be seeing one of the bands you worked with on Tuesday when I go see the Breaking Benjamin tour. So, oh, nice, very good, excellent. I was just, I was literally texting uh, Dustin, and while the video was playing, because I found a really funny butt rock uh, band name for a band name, but I don't want to, I don't want to out them. But that was pretty funny because we have this thing we try and find. There's certain lyrics and titles and things that are super duper butt rock. You know, and like the words like ashes and, and cold and scars and <laughs> angels and, you know, save me for myself and all of the things that are sort of like in every butt rock song. Right. But we, we try and outdo each other and try and find things that are more butt rock than the last thing. Butt rock is a new term for me. I haven't heard. I know jaw rock, which is somebody turned me, you know, that was the creeds and the Alice in Chains with her, you know, that thing. I, I, never heard of butt rock. See, I never heard that one. So, so the, uh, the, the, the lineage of butt rock. And I know this because I was there at the very beginning, uh, was that hair metal had another name, right? Do we give Do we remember what the other name of hair metal was? Uh-uh. Cock, cock rock. Okay. So or we used glam, to call it cock rock. rock. I remember glam rock. Right, glam rock, but they used to call it cock rock, right? Because you had the, the, the fake dick in there and you yeah. like, you know, and yes. they call it cock rock. And then all of a sudden in the late 90s, when bands like Creed and and Tool and, and Godsmack and all of those bands started like getting super popular, all those bands were detuning and making it lower, yes. like detuning the guitars and going lower to lower notes. And what's lower than your cock, but your butt. <laughs> so the 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 butt rock right. that was you know and then and then nickelback sort of like took all of that and ran with it and just like perfected butt rock so the right. so the the perfection of butt rock is nickelback um but yeah there's there's quite a there's quite a bit of butt rock still left over in the world well there, there's your micro clip kevin right there i can guarantee it so <laughs> i love it man well so nice thank you so much and yeah. uh Hope to hear from you soon. Hope to see you guys live soon. And yeah. Uh, let's make it happen. All right. I'm in. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate right, thank it. Thank you. Have a great night, man. Uh, yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. We really appreciate the support. If you want to stay up to date with all the things we're doing here at The Sound, be sure to download our free radio app. It's in the App Store or Google Play. Just type in The Sound 228. It'll come right up. Download it on your phone. Listen to all the killer new music that Kevin and I are trying to promote to the masses. You can stay up to date with all of our social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also download the episodes of the podcast and the Homegrown Show, all right there inside of the app. Go download it now. You won't be disappointed. And once again, we are the sound. We are New Rock.